Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Valley Pile. I'm Tay. I'm Hector Ring. And I'm LQD Brunt. And today we're just going to talk about, you know, Cassandra since we brought brought along, and maybe just talk about the meta in general. The last week or so, first off, but you know, this is the last podcast before BS2 arrives around next week on Tuesday, I think. Tuesday or Wednesday? Yeah, I think it's Tuesday. Well, they're having this big maintenance from Tuesday till Wednesday. It's going to be like 40 hours. Yeah, and the first thing people thought when they saw that was like, but what about my weekly awards? I saw that. Everyone's worried. But then, as I said, they're going to freeze it then. Yeah. Okay, so let's recap the general meta in Jackpot for the last week or so. I'm going to start off. I'm, gonna, I'm still seeing the usual amount of Craig and Ashuma. Not as many Kelthors I would like to see. Notwithstanding, you know, late night jackpot runs when I you see the same person twice, but now I'm seeing a lot more Hakim. Well, I think Hakim is probably one of the most solid decks, if not the most solid deck. I mean, it can it can win against anything. It has a really nice matchups against Keltor, against Cassandra, against whatever, against Ishuma, I guess also. But you know, you know, you would know more of this because you played. But I don't know. I, I see it as the most probably the most consistent deck. At the moment, if you know how to play it, of course. It's very hard to play. I would say Ashuma is a hard matchup just because of Streamzinger. It's one of the few decks that actually have natural dispels. Yeah, not many decks running dispels these days. And that's why um, un- underrated heroes like Ariana and Miranda are really hard heroes because they run dispels. And they, um, in case of Miranda, they play a lot of magic resist guys. Like, Scholar is so OP against Hakeem, because you can't kill that thing with, like, less than three cards. Yeah, but it does one damage, so... It adds up over time, which is the problem. Yeah, it's a more psychological thing. What about that uh, Obsidian Gargoyle? That must be a problem. Um, Obsidian Gargoyle doesn't matter as much because it costs four resources, and you are... A lot of builds are thrown Hakeem. So you don't mind them replaying four resources, it's them replaying the one resource every turn. That's the problem. And the only way you can kill Scholars is by Crystal Power Insect Swarm, because, you know, you can't kill them with a Curse of Pendant. Curse does one damage to it, right? Well, you can Insect Swarm three times. Or you can Altar of Asha, if, if, you, if you will. I know some builds run Altar of Asha, I don't, because the problem is... Finding four resources to do this one thing, I've yet to play a game that it actually, I would like, I would, I went like, I want an Ultra of Asher in this situation. Um, because the average turn in which I mill a deck is about 15, and most of those turns is setting up throne combos with Void Tainted Ritual or drawing a lot of cards. And very rarely do you have the time to go summon Ultra of Asher, do something. Yeah, I guess that that is a problem. And how do you deal with crushers? I mean, not to, not to say that Altar of Asha is a way to deal with crushers, but in general, Crush, crushers don't really matter because they're five cost and you play Throne. I play Broken Bridge, but for the most part, crushers are just there because in a lot of a lot of Keller games, I don't even bother killing their creatures at a certain point. I just go, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna stall for with shadows and stone shields, and then I'm going to throne Inheritance Earthcrest and make you replay your crushers, and then, you know, I mill you, and then you think your crushers actually did something, and you die. That's how most Kelthor games go for me. 
They're just expensive brutes. I guess they're falling out of favor. You would think so, but I pl I played against a crack hack that plays four BS crushers. Uh, I don't know. In I saw in some of the I don't know, is it who played it Kelt in Team League? Who played it uh, Craig with is Milky with Black Skull Crushers? Yeah, I don't know. I I don't like them in Craig. I mean, if I was Craig, I'd probably put them in the sideboard maybe. But yeah, I mean, I've even seen some Craigs with um, what's that? The Clan Warlord. Do you remember we were talking about that a while ago? Oh, that. Yeah, there's an entire team running the same deck, which is like four clan lords, but no stampedes. Clan lords in K in Craig. Yeah, I mean, when when is he going to be bigger than four might? You have to draw cards. I mean, it's, especially if you run stampedes. But he doesn't. Uh, he doesn't. Yeah, they don't run stampedes. So they can just play X O one, I guess. Uh, no, X one one because they also play Seferia. It's a weird deck. I don't know why multiple people in the same team are running it. Well, I guess they found it to be the most efficient one in their practice games, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't agree with this. I mean, there, there is very little that Warlord can offer you in a correct deck that Orc ca can't. I mean, it's a... and it costs one more. I see it very good in a surprise attack decks, in Cat or Akamas, but not in Craig. Yeah, they only work in Zardark mainly because of Zardark's ability, but that's about it in terms of what you normally see. But Zardark is also quite high on requirements because he wants to cast Might of Nature and Light of Tomorrow. No, but you still have you still have the ability to actually hit the face at some point because of Zardark's ability, which is the other heroes, they need a special other thing in order to get that off running. Yeah, like his ability or, or Surprise Attack Fortune. Cat's Grand Finale. Finale and Surprise Attack, yeah. You know, if you get it to 6 might, then you can really surprise some someone with it, with 6 damage. It's really nice. I think th this might be a good build, actually, for base it to surprise attack cat. I mean, it depends on the other cards we get, but... Yeah, I know that... Yeah, I know that you won a French BS2 tournament with surprise attack cat, but that was clearly, you know when Banshees are still at their current requirements. Yes, but Banshees actually... I mean, I, I played that Surprise Attack, you know, b before, in you know, six, like six months ago, and Banshees, while they were, you know, like 6-0-0, they didn't matter as much in, in those matchups. And 6-0-0 is kind of similar to what we will have now, 4-4-0. I kind of disagree, because 4-4 is much better because it's more synergistic with the rest of the deck. If you make it 6 might, you're subtracting a lot of speed for your spells, so you're kind of going one track, whereas 4-4 four, four gives you a lot of options always, whether to Banshee or to use a Soul Reaver. Yes, but in those times where Banshee was 6-0-0, you played Fortune, Fortune decks, so you upped your magic might only most of the time for the first 6 turns. So Banshee came on turn 6 every time, when Nergal was popular and Seria fortune builds. Yeah, I think Banshees are going to be really powerful regardless, but we still have about 90 cards that, well, Hector knows. Yeah, but yeah, I kind of see how, you know, Banshee at 4-4 synergizes a lot with, you know, Soul Reaver at 4 magic and Shadow Image. And, you know, depending on what other, what hero you're playing in particular, you've got access to things like Fireball or Insect Swarm. At around the same time. Well, I think that's a no-brainer because that's what—that's the very first thing everyone thought when the recalibration happened was Banshees. It went from honestly from like eh in Ariana decks to suddenly a guarantee you'll see them in Ariana decks because a lot of decks pre-recalibration was you know the Ariana spell versions with 
uh, puppet masters and they're cutting out the uh, high mic guys. Yes, I agree. The highest you went was Atropos, and now even his requirement is lowered by one. So we might see actually a lot of four four Ariana builds. Well, four four one. Four four one, yes. The, the main point is the banshees, uh, which is much easier and more. It's more annoying because you could predict when the banshee is coming out when Ariana is going to five might, but now you really can't. Now on turn six, you have to expect it, I guess. But the thing remains, they said they're going to make it a dark creature, and creatures that have dark ward would be immune to the effect of Banshee. Well, we know that Shinoshi is immune to it. Yeah, it, it's all happening. Like, I think that, you know, those creatures with fire heal, now that triggers off... Um, Bloaters. Things, yeah, like fire burst and things. Which is a good change, in my opinion. It adds more flavor to the game. What also adds the flavor of the game are animations. Oh yeah. As long as they don't cause more bugs. Well, the issue, the only issue I would find is like, this is really like, this is probably going to matter on like one out of 100 twists, but like animations add times to the turns. So like if you have to finish someone off and you play Insect Swarm and you see like, whoosh. No, I think you can, you can stack your actions, right? It may be like, maybe it's like in Hearthstone that you can play all your actions and then animations happen later. Yeah, animations are definitely something you need in the year 2014, honestly. You can't really go the traditional magic system of this kind of moves forward and the other one kind of moves back and then it goes away. Well, you mean magic online? That's a terrible interface. Yeah, and that's really only existent because it has like 20 years of history. Anyways, back to the current meta, which is not going to be current anymore. So, I mean, Necro decks, even with the new Banshee, they're not going to be really a problem for decks like Hakim, right? Or Ignatius, because they don't really care about interacting with having creatures for the Necro player to interact with. I think Ariana would be more problematic for Ignatius just because they can dispel the dispels the withers and weaknesses. I don't think Adar Malik is definitely not the hero in the post-BS2 open meta. It's going to be stuff like Ariana, who has access to the ability to kill stone shields and weaknesses. Yeah, probably. But if we see some kind of resurgence of stall decks, then I guess Necro would fall out of favor again. If they don't get something that can deal with it. Yeah, because Necro has a lot of defensive creatures, and I think sort of that's its flavor as a faction. And even if, it, if you can dispel like your stone shields and your weaknesses, you're probably still not going to be able to deal a ton of damage with your creature. Yeah, you just don't have enough damage to, to kill it. And now you're probably not even running like Power Death Seekers after the nerf and things, so... Yeah, they cost, they cost 4 now. Yeah, uh, open at this point is just, there's too many good generic stall cards, and not enough answers that are also efficient that everyone can play. What, you mean like how Price of the Void requires you to have 3 magic, 3 destiny, and have a card in your deck which is useless against everything else. Yeah, Price of the Void is so... I've actually taken out Price of the Void sometimes um, during Jackpot because the only threat to me is Strength of the Sea. And there's like maybe one deck that uses that and is actually a threat to Hakeem. So that's how bad it is when Price of the Void can be taken out because there's no real threats. I guess, yes, that, that's true. I wouldn't want to see everyone, every hero, to get some Dispel or something like this. To, to make Dispel like a, a neutral card, I think this, you know, every faction who should have its own measures. Like Famous Last Blows, I know it's not, not that good, but you know, something on that line. 
for Stronghold and something different for Necro and... Oh my god, famous last blow. If it was just one Destiny lower, I would actually play it. But the fact that it costs basically the same as Price of the Void, it's so dumb. I mean, they should have more things like uh, Venerable Kappa, right? Because that's got a good enough size to be played in your deck anyway, and it just happens to give you a bit of extra edge against Fortune Stall decks. You see, I mean, the problem with Black Skull Crusher is that for its size, it, it costs, you know, five resources for a 327 is pretty bad. But at the same time, against decks like Gazal, they've got no way to, to deal with it. So it's kind of like a hard counter in some situations and really bad in other situations. Question about whether it hard counters Gazelle, it definitely hard counters some decks. Like, that's the reason why we don't see more Rage Alia, for example, because a turn 5 Black Skull Crusher is like step 1 through 5 of, oh my god, this is not what I want to see. Yeah, well, those cards need to, needs to exist. And Which is good, yeah. Once one deck becomes dominant, you know, then you can put in suboptimal things, but you know, that counter this deck that, that's now the most popular, and then, you know... Well, you still see BS Crushers because they are also very good in the mirror. Are they? I don't know. I never play a Kelthor mirror, so... Oh, yeah. Uh, we There was a long discussion last week about the Kelthor mirror, and BS Crushers are now are one, if not the best card in the mirror. Yeah, because you can just put them down and block a lane with it, and you know that that lane's blocked. You, could, you can't get it killed or move the song to loss or anything. Uh, but we have quite enough of Kelthor to last forever. So let's talk about Cassandra, it's the arch nemesis. You're the third person to run that 1700 elo, and you are currently number one on the global ladder. And you went with more of a 315 version, uh, excluding the treasures. Now a lot of people are using your build, but what made you think and believe that 315 is the way to go in the current meta? Well, it's like I wrote in that you know little summary, I think it's more of a playstyle preference. I used to play 315, you know, before Treasure even came out. And then they came out, they were 3 might, you know, so I used them. But now 4, four might just seems, you know, to me too kind of clunky and slow. I, li I really like to have, you know, that 3-1-3 stats as soon as possible on my third turn if I go first. And then... I can choose to draw a card if, you know, th thanks to rivers and uh, campfires, I have enough resources. Then I like to draw cards to if I don't get, you know, good hand or if I don't have creatures to play. And you can't do that with treasures. You have to go, you know, to Formite and then you are too far away from, from Cosmic, for Prison, from, from Devotion. You just have to increase your stats, even if your hand is subpar. So, you know, card drawing and overall agility, you know, it's what's making me think that, you know, this is a better version right now. Especially, I think, against, against Keltor that it's better, which is a dominant deck still. And you have a, what is basically a philosophy point for, on a lot of Cassandra players is the Holy Praetorian. Um, some players like Vamp don't like Holy Praetorian because they feel Cassandra is a total offensive deck and plus it clocks the front line. You said that Holy Praetorians are there because you don't have to dance around the battlefield. You can just go head on. Yes. It depends on the meta, actually. But, you know, in mirrors against Keltor, if they are the, the only thing that's, that's enabling you to be the aggressive one, actually. Like I, like I wrote there uh, in the summary, if what, what usually happens is, let's say, let's say a situation, situation like this, 
you put your I don't know or wolf captain glory, and then what what happens is that Keltor puts a Oliphant to block it, and then what happens is if you don't have a Praetorian and you have a double line, you 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 either can't attack with wolf captain, which is really bad, and you have to move it. And if you move it, you have to move your second creature also, which is usually a Watchman or a Griffin. And then he can just either move his Oliphant, you know, follow you, or he can just deploy Orc and up his magic. And then he's on two magic and close to Forbidden Flame, and you have to deploy another creature, and so you haven't done no damage, you haven't damaged his creatures, and it's a really terrible position. If you have Praetorian, you just put it next to Wolf Captain and attack it, if he kills your wolf captain, his oliphant will die from re retribution damage, and you can next turn attack with, you know, griffin or something. So it's, I think it's, you know, almost a necessity today for Cassandra. So which version, Hector, do you think is harder for you? Brunt's version or like a turn for treasure? It's hard to say. When I was um, playing Cassandra last week, I actually went with a version that was very similar to the one that Brunt posted and like, you know, I made tier 1 in jackpot, etc. Not much problems with that. It's, you know, really powerful. I found that if you're playing with treasurers, often the turn where you get to 3 destiny and like you go off essentially with your extra resources and your pillages, it's often delayed like by one turn which can be really crucial in the mid game. But having said that, you know, the version of Treasurers gives you a, a lot of mid-game potential because, you you know, broken bridges are essentially free and things like that. Yeah, bridges are, you know, much much easier to use when you use Treasurers. That, that, that's, that's true. You know, you can't go casting a river and then, you know, using those resources for a bridge is not very good. You basically have done nothing to improve your board position and he can just redeploy those creatures and you'll have the same amount of resources next turn. So it's... You have to be really careful with bridges when using treasure-less version. Yeah, I mean, often you have the situation where you go something like campfire, river, bridge, pillage, and you still haven't put anything on the board, so you already need to be in a in a winning position. Yes, I agree. Well, that's you know, you you have to play it a lot to you know kind of practice and see what's what's working out, what and what's what's the what are the wrong plays. Yeah. So I saw in your version you play three trainings and one mercenaries. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, I changed to that later. You know, sometimes late, later in the game when you know just the thing is with me, I rarely use training in the beginning of the match, except when I play against academy. You know, sometimes I use it more. But late game, you, you have enough resources, you're not risking any, anything. So one, mer one you know, mercenary can help you sometimes to win the game, if it comes in the right time. I don't like having four or, or three, because then I risk too much by using them. And I like to take a lot of risks when playing Cassandra. So by putting one, I'm preventing myself from losing the games that way. By using Merc. Merc. Yeah, um, one of the reasons why I don't like playing mercenaries in Kelthor anymore is because when you're playing against Cassandra, often they'll have more resources than you to make effective use of mercenaries. Yes. Well, you know, it gives you more options. It gives more options to Cassandra, and you don't want to do that. And plus, whenever I see a Keltor without full set of taxes and Arbiters, I'm really happy. Yeah, especially when they're using Nethermancer, which counters nothing? Yeah, from the most important event to, you know, useless in a couple of months, in one month or two. Nethermancer can be okay against Light of Tomorrow. But if your opponent is playing Light of Tomorrow and you aren't punishing his ass, 
for playing four resources on doing nothing that turn. You deserve to lose. Yes, I think so too. <laughs> well, it can be still useful against Gazal, but you know there are not that many Gazals to justify the. And the thing is, Gazelle plays four copies of all their important cards and favorite spell. Yeah, so it it really does not matter to the point where it's maybe good against this one deck that isn't really played all that much compared to just learning the matchup. Yeah, I think so too. I wouldn't justify putting them in any deck, I think, nowadays. Now that unique incursions are gone. Yeah, and despite what people think, they're not that great against Hakeem either. I've I've had lots of Kelthar go super excited every time like double Nethermander comes out. I was like, oh my god, I'm gonna remove all your stone shields! Congrats, you spent two resources on something that doesn't matter. Because by the time you're recycling your deck, you've already cast Offering and they're already pretty much dead. Yeah. Uh, very rarely do I recycle the deck in desperation of because I actually need more stall. I'm usually resetting the deck because I milled you and I want like another 30 turn buffer to like slowly kill you. That's about it. So Brent, before the before the unique recursion patch, what did you think about Treasurers and Cassandra so that you had more resources in the mid game to play with the, you know, realignment to recycle your uniques back into your deck and then do more stuff? Yeah, was, uh, me personally, I never played that Loop Cassandra deck, but they were great, you know, in those kind of decks, I think, because you, you had, you know, all your resources, you, you, you had, you had, you, you could use Prism five times if you had four singularities, you could use Devotion, it was, it was really great. I think that was, you know, better deck back then, than without Treasures. It's also more annoying as hell. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, hey, let me let me play this Cassandra that has you know fifty life and can lock me out of the game three times. That's fair. <laughs> well, you had to run Nethermancer then. You can't even Nethermancer under prison, though. That's the problem. You can if you play Inheritance. Do you run Inheritance in Hakim? Yes, and a lot of other people are starting to. I think I personally run it because it's. Number one, I want a deck that automatically beats Kel'Thor like 90% of the time. And the main problem with throwing a Renewal is if they get you in pretty low life and you throw, they can beat you with a Wartent Quick Attack. But with Inheritance, you can throw the entire board, reset the board, Inheritance, Earth's Grasp, they have to start all over. And then they have to decide whether to replay on the 10 resources, their BS Crushers, or their Zephyria, or their smaller creatures, etc. It makes the Kel'Thor think, and a lot of times the Kel'Thors don't know how to think. Well, that's a bit harsh, but you know. And how do you deal with Cassandra's with Hakim? I mean, I know it's one of the toughest matchups for me, so... It's... I have like 90% win rate, and I played about 30 games this month main thing for Hakeem is to do whatever it takes to clear the board whenever possible. And once you get to that magic turn 6 and later, you yeah. have a lot more a lot more leeway because of pillages don't really work. They don't work. Unless you can keep, you know, you can keep, you know, one and hope for another and then hope on top of it that he won't kill your creatures, you know, through some luck or something. You know, and then you can cast double pillage, but that happens like, you know, one in 20 games. Yeah, I mean, you basically need, like, the pillage, pillage, prison in order to win against Akeem, right? You need pillage before right. turn 6, and then hope to have a prison or, you know, at least a cosmic realignment to kind of reduce his hand. Yeah, the main thing that Hakeem 
Like, if I see a Hakeem replay versus Cassandra and they lose, I can usually point out to them not blocking enough. If you can block with a Gargoyle against a Watchman or Glory early in the turn, that is a huge amount of the game won right there. Magic resists so OP. That was an interesting post, actually. Someone said that he preferred to run expert marksmen instead of watchmen because they aren't so easily blocked by gargoyles and they can attack after an earthquake. I would love marksmen just because insect swarm can actually kill guys. A lot of times I have to do desperate insect swarms just to damage the watchmen and then they and then the week of training flips and I'm like, yeah, Marksman doesn't really make a difference, honestly. The matchup is all about how many pillages you can get before turn 6. And how many resource boosts you can get to effectively leverage those pillages as well. Yeah, it's very interesting because I, I lost a game in Serpent Fly Cup in first round against French player Yano, 86. Uh, we, there was a Cassandra versus Hakim matchup and, you know, it came to very late game. I had no more cards in my library and I used aggressively uh, celebrations to draw my second pillage. I had one in my hand, you know, and I double pillaged him. He was on, I don't know, five or something like this. And when I double pillaged him, I had two watchmen on board and, you know, and wolf captain one. And he had two resources after that. And of course he casted earthquake and it was GG. If I had if I had marksman, I would have won. So yeah, but then you get to the point where, like, even if Hakeem, I would say is considered a really good choice in the meta, you don't see as many to justify running marksman. No, I, I I'm joking, of course. Watchmen are superior in every way. Like I'm starting to see more Hakeem now, but for it's been like, oh god, has it been like six months at this point since the uh, Mana Storm nerf? And also, I think another fact that helps Hakeem is that nowadays people are playing more Ancestors instead of Mana Storm. Honestly, it doesn't matter because I was winning plenty of games before Mana Storm. It just meant more Crystal Power. Oh yeah. Well, I don't know why people don't play Hakeem more. I rarely meet them in Jackpot, you know, which is good if you play Cassandra, but... I think it's because it's a really expensive deck. And it's hard to play compared to Castle. I don't know, I just... Uh, the main path to the success, if you want to play Hakeem, is be super paranoid. If you can imagine the very worst thing that can kill you that turn, do everything in your power to prevent that, you know? And you'll win most games a lot of the time. Like... Against a Ashuma, you play your Ultra Shadows early because if they do have the Stream Singers, you can minimize the amount of damage they can, you know, use with that. And late game, you do not play your Stone Shields unless you can chain it into an Ultra Shadows next turn so that if they have a Stream Singer, they can only bounce one of the stall cards but not the other. And a little stuff like that. Ignatius actually has to play quite a bit more aggressively than Haki. Probably also because anyone that wants to try like a stall deck that beats Kalthor is probably playing Ignatius instead. Yes, yeah, so and then Auto loses to Cassandra, but okay, if you want to beat Kalthor, you risk it. Yeah, it's just an easier deck in my opinion, and it's a lot cheaper, I think. Ignatius Spell Wither is a lot cheaper than Hakeem, because Hakeem you need like four Void Shades, three, two, three Cosmics, like... All these forgotten crystals of powers are also rare. All these forgotten war rares, yeah. Yeah, thrones are the most expensive stuff there. Yeah, and well, thrones are like sixteen wild cards each, and void chase are fifteen each right now, so it really builds up. Um, because I even I didn't complete a Hakeem deck until like three months ago, and I was collecting wild cards like a maniac. What card did you miss? You know, the last one. The last one. The void chase. Void chase. 
because I actually, I had like three Void Cheese, but then for some reason I decided to completely sidetrack and start making a Cassandra deck, so I started collecting Wolf Captain. <laughs> oh. And then, and then like, after a day or two, I realized I didn't actually like playing as Cassandra. <laughs> <laughs> so I spent like another month grinding. You know, good thing you, you've done it before the expansion, so... Oh yeah, it's... I've gone to the... I've started um, my Hakeem Solitary, you know, playing only Hakeem and Jackpot for like uh, a month now. And I really... Yeah, since the the meta's gotten so seamy-ish, even with the unique patch... I mean, remember the days when the Mana Storm nerf hit and we saw Kelthor with spells and we called it Spellthor? And we're like, <gasps> what is this new deck, Spellthor? But isn't it boring playing the same deck for like a month? Not really. You see a lot of interesting stuff that would beat Hakeem. I suppose the difference as well is that when you're playing Hakeem, you probably play V10 games in the time that it takes for a Kelthor player to play like 30 or 40 games. Yeah, I play maximum 15 games in Jackpot and I... Last few jackpots I got in like 11-2, um, I don't know, probably three hours, I guess? Uraxor went 9-0 in the last jackpot in uh, half an hour. Yeah, but he's a Luxac. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing about you know decks that require a longer time to play is, at least for me, you, you get frustrated more if you lose. I don't know. It's better for me to play, you know, kind of mid something that doesn't take as much time as, as Hakim or JKK's Damiria. Well, Hakim is unique in that when you, if you lose as Hakim, you lose really fast. Uh, because if you get into a certain point with Hakim, you actually can't really lose unless you're facing like a Damiria deck with Tower of Smith. But otherwise, when I lose, I lose really fast. Well, that's a good thing. Yeah, I forgot about that. Oh, and speaking of which, um, decks that would counter Hakeem the most is basically any Inferno Control deck. Um, especially ones that can play Tower Smith. Because my version runs 4 Rising Moon and 4 Celebrations, and I don't run, I don't run uh, Market of Wonders, which I would run if there were more Garden of Ecstasy and Tower Smith. But because Demeria died for the most part, that's why I started running those events. I mean, JKK says Demeria is pretty good in the meta, but... I don't see Demeria ever. I don't see it. I, I wrote it somewhere, you know, a couple of days ago, that people just don't play her. I don't know why, but they don't. You know, I, I think she would be very strong now. You know, with Grasps, against Keltor, against against Hakim, she would be very strong, against Cassandra, against Ignatius, it would be, you know, kind of tough. You are not fast enough to discard his things, and he can just, you know, kill you. Against Ignatius, if you get an early Tower of the Smith, that's over, though. Yeah, uh, but it's, you know, three, three fortune... I don't know, if, if you, you didn't have to choose between deploying creatures, uh, be between upping might and using your ability, and if you don't use your ability and go to Tree Fortune, then, you know, it gets tough against Ignatius, but... That's why you play Ali's, what was it, 70-card Demary control deck that plays Stone Shields. Well, <laughs> there's always that, of course. Oh, God. Oh yeah, and speaking of which, Ali went back to 1700 before dropping again by playing his 80-card Hakeem deck. Well, how much does your have? About 66. I don't know why, why he plays you know, such big decks, but you know, it works for him, so... Yep, that's always the response. I don't know, it works. I don't know. He somehow gets to 1700 multiple times, I don't know. Yeah, I guess you know, he, he's that good to overcome this you know, bloated deck issue. It's aim-botting. Uh, but yeah, uh, speaking of which... Uh, 
So you got like a long win streak up to 1700. Um, did you actually feel kind of nervous when you got near it? Well, no, not actually, because I don't know. I, I It wasn't that important to me. Like when I was trying to reach 1500, back then I was, you know, shaking and everything. But now it's since it's not a, some kind of real step, real border, I just, you know, yes or no. I knew I'm, I'm going to get there eventually before the expansion and it happened in one jackpot and I was happy. I was 10-0 that jackpot with Cassandra, and then I played a couple of more leather games to, you know, to close it. Yeah, it's gotten... Let's talk about the ELO inflation a bit here. Like, a year ago, there was like maybe five people above 1,500. Nowadays, it's rare to find, you know, a player that's played a game this long and not reached there. Yes, well, I am hoping new system will change this. You know, we'll have more... Accurate representation. Yes. Well, it's... It's a simple mathematical fact, right? If you put, you look at the current ELO um, barriers, if someone at 1500 loses to someone at 1100, say, uh, the 1500 guy doesn't lose any ELO, whereas the 1100 guy gains like 20 or 30 ELO. And that, you know, that's just fed straight into the system. That's a finite increase in ELO, which isn't going to disappear. Yes, yes, that's, that's true. Yeah, and there's just not enough people, and there's too many people that ELO drop to get in like the 500 range and own all the newbies with their expensive decks. Which is definitely a problem that's going to be solved. I guess. Well, they're trying to solve it with uh, better rewards for higher placed players, right? Well, they're also trying to solve it by having the higher tiers give more access to daily quests and stuff. So. Well, that's a... Okay, I didn't know that. That's a good, yes, I think, change. You definitely gain benefits just being in a higher tier. But if the, if the rewards are gold and gold will not be as useful as as before maybe but you know you won't have reason to to go down to get gold anyway so i guess it's we'll see what, what happens yeah i think if the if, if it's if it's changed like um squire gets one daily quest while champions get four daily quests then like there's almost no incentive to actually like try and lose yeah i think so too but then people will complain that you know Whoever is rich will only get richer, and that lower place, lower tier players can't get cards. But hopefully, that means people will actually start trying a free-to-play series, which I guess not to mention Hearthstone, since that's the ire of some people. But um, a lot of people have complained Hearthstone is pay-to-win, no matter how misused that word is. So a lot of people just started, you know, like let's start from the very scratch and get to the highest tier by paying absolutely nothing. So I'm hoping once BS2 comes, a couple weeks, people get used to the system, someone starts a series that shows standard is incredibly actually viable and uh, easy for an experienced player to get from zero to the highest tier. Didn't Enclase do that a while ago, a few months ago anyway? Yes, he did it with, yeah, with Sandalfon deck, I think. No, he does it with like, he does it like once a month, uh, back when he streamed. He did it with uh, Shuma, he did it with Craig, and, you know, other stuff. And But, but there wasn't, like, a definite goal. Like, 1500 barrier isn't as definite as Lord Commander, is what I'm saying. Yes, that is true. Yeah. So, I'm, uh, like, I heard Jason said he might start up his own free-to-play series when the Jason Paradise might say he's going to start one up when BS, BS2 hits. Well, that would be, you know, certainly a good thing for, for new players and for lower-tier players. Yeah. It's never, especially in this game, whereas Hearthstone is a bit more random and you can, like, I don't like the ranking system. 
But this system, you can, you know, if you're good at the game and card games in general, you will get there without spending a dime. Wait, so you're saying that Ubisoft is going to pay one of their community managers to do a video series showing that you don't need to pay them any money? <laughs> well, when you put it that way. Um, I think he said he was doing it in his free time. But, you know, there's going to be a lot of streamers going to come back once BS2 hits. And I'm pretty sure one of them is going to try and do a series of their own. So it's not like there's not going to be a lot of, you know, uh, lack of content. Yeah, well, maybe you could do it. No. Why not? Because <laughs> let's look at the number of streamers that said they're coming back. Uh, we got Zuki. We got Really Original. We got, oh God, I guess Pew Gemini said he's coming back. Mouse? Yeah, I think Moose is coming back too. He was streaming earlier today. You know, well, maybe you could do a, like a YouTube series or something. Yeah, that's actually what we need and what I constantly suggest is we need more YouTube presence. Uh, the game does. There's like, except Aza, there's like no material for... Except Hectorine! Ah, well, yes, I forgot about that. But you know, like a regular someone who would like Husky or so, like someone who would play every day at least one game and upload it, you know, and comment it a bit. And he would have to be, I mean, I mean English, I think. Because I... From my perspective, in US, this game is really not that popular, and yes, and you know, this has to change if we are going to see DLC to succeed. I mean, look at Hearthstone, they've got so many advertisements, it's borderline obnoxious sometimes. Well, that's because they have a super aggressive advertisement campaign when the game was in beta. Like us, and we might give you a beta key. Go to this site and enter this contest, and we might give you a beta key. You know, all that stuff. And Twitch officially advertises Hearthstone. You know, it's a very aggressive market that paid off for them. And the biggest thing that Duel of Champions has done is we're, we're on Steam. And we did a Steam sale once or twice. Look at the comparison. I know. So, first off, when, the set, when BS2 hits, we need a Steam sale. Uh, that's going to be the first and foremost priority in terms of the biggest visual, you know, here we are, we exist. At probably, I think, the lowest effort. Well, maybe they change something with, with the expansion. We'll see. But yeah, um, I'm actually kind of excited about the changes. Um, not only because it's new cards, but also it's because of the... I think the economy is more relaxing. Daily quests would mean they would probably give you something that would normally take you like an hour or two of grinding at this point in my levels. Yes, well, it also gives you, you know, something to do other than just playing the ladder, which is always a good thing. Yeah, ladder's boring. I don't know how you do it, Hector. Yeah, I, well, I don't really play much on the days when there isn't a jackpot unless I'm trying to learn a new deck. Especially now that Kelso's been going the way of the dodo. I've got to pick up all sorts of new things. So you're starting Ignatius this week? Oh yeah, I finally made, I made T1 with it yesterday, 15-4 or something, that's pretty good. Creature version, or...? No, um, Spell and Fortune Ignatius. You got any opinions on the different Ignatius builds? Well, I don't know. I think, you know, Creatureless is better, I think. Although I, I haven't seen anyone playing Creatures, actually, in a long time. So I think that's, that's like a universal opinion. Well, the thing is that if Ignatius becomes popular, then the Creature version is actually much better in the mirror. That's what, that's what Dread did yesterday. He got to, like, 324 Tilo with a Creature Ignatius version. Well, you know, it's it's one jackpot. You know, you can 
you have to have you know like a five or four or five jackpots in a row with good good results so in order for you to call something you know like really good i think but you know it's it's a good start i think also trap basically came up with a creature in asia tech i think he's you know one of only very few people who can play it to its full potential the creature in nature's deck especially has a very tiny margin of victory even less so than the spell in nature's version yeah i know it's it's very similar to the old belias deck that was used you know like a year ago or something yeah i heard about it that was when throne didn't empty your resources right yes so what you did you know in the beginning you had you know aggressive creatures and you know you did damage you know the more the better but you know you usually stopped there i don't know 12 or if you could go more than that, it was great. And then you just relied on altars, on thrones, and Belias' ability. And it worked great. I think this Ignatius is similar to that. Obviously, with throne change, it's, it's different. But, you know, the philosophy is the same. Yeah, I mean, you've got potential for all sorts of crazy things like throne inheritance, chaos seer. Oh, chaos seer. Why do you crash replays? <laughs> well, that's one con against... Against those, against that Ignatius. Yeah. yeah, we can never learn about how creature Ignatius still works because it crashes the replays. Yeah, <laughs> it was so frustrating, you know. That's the same reason why we can't learn about high tier ligas. It crashes the replays. <laughs> or even um, Garant Gate, for that matter, because I found that Chaos here was super important in against control decks for it. Yeah, Garant Ga- Garant Gate with the. Uh, uh, anti-control tech like Chaos Imp and Tower Smith is so probably the hardest matchup I normally see in Jackpot. Yeah, but they usually run like one Chaos here, you know, or at least from what I saw from some replays. Yeah, but you can use your gates to dig for it. You can use your gates, but you know, it's kind of, it's like five then, but still, you know, pretty random. Also, now the Garant gates, because of all the Crags and Ishumas, they've got to adapt to the meta by playing like four Firebolts and one Forbidden Flame, which, you know, dilutes their own gates and so on. It's kind of a weird build. Yeah, I saw that, yes. But, yeah. Um, so the meta's closing out. What would you say is your top five decks throughout the entire quote-unquote Kelther meta the last six months? What would you say is dominant? Obviously, Kelter number one, because we're calling it a Kelter meta. Okay, it's, if Kelter is one, then I don't know. I don't know, JKK Damiria was dominant at one time. Cassandra wasn't oh. played all that much, but I would still put her in top five, I think. Sandalok? Sandalok, of course, that's four. Ashuma or Crag? Well, they were played a lot, but I don't know if I would place them, you know, like... I think Ishuma was really big before the Kelter meta. Kind of. Well, it's kind of hard to judge because... The Keltor meta came because of the Mana Storm nor- nerf, but also because of, of Afkel's uh, champion deck being made. I think that's when it really started the Keltor meta. Oh, because anyone could get their hands on the cards really easily. Yeah, because all you need is Zephyria and Forbidden Flame, and Zephyria you don't really need at times. Yeah, of course. I don't know, let's did them put, you know, like, Craig among top five. Yeah, because Craig is very interesting in that it's it's a pretty not adaptable deck. But it's always there in the meta. Always. It's always there to come back and remind people that you need to prepare for Rush. If you cannot prepare against Rush, you will die. Gazelle, I will come after you. You will die. Yeah, that's true. Plus, you can get it just as easily as Skelter. So, you have all the cards you need. And Krang's got, uh, you know, it's got the advantage of having really quick games. And you can have these god hands, which just mean that you win. I mean, sometimes 
you you just spam your stuff like on turn one or two, and then you're basically asking the question of your opponent: Do you have the earthquake or the two double fireball? If not, you lose right now. Yes, that's true. Yeah, it's pretty much a definition of being a proactive deck. It's never really caring about the meta. The meta could be like literally 99% Hakeem's with 4 Earthquakes and 4 Insect Swarms. And you would still probably see Kratkak just because it can win those games that it shouldn't have. Well, yes. Well, I, I think it's it's a good thing in the end. Because if there weren't for decks like Craig, I think Azal would be much more popular. And then, you know, everyone would complain about how OP she is and her abilities has to be changed and, you know, all that. So I think it's... Always good to have some kind of balance between heavy control decks and rush ones. They just need to give Gazala third magic school. <laughs> Which one? Earth or fire? Wow, that that would be, you know... <laughs> no, what they need to do is actually give academy creatures that do something instead of block. Void Shades do something. And Jin, Jin Catalysts attack for 20 damage all the time. <laughs> yeah, your ex are favorite creature now, I guess. Oh, gosh. Yeah, to all our viewers out there, if you see a Jin Catalyst on the field, kill it. Kill it with fire. What you guys think about that, uh, think about that new OTK Asala with Peos and... Ink Warriors. It, and Ink Warriors, yes. I think it's hilarious, but... you know. Yeah. It's hilarious, but like the creator said, if there's a weak attacks or blind arbiters, you die. And that's everywhere, so you die? <laughs> I don't know. It's It's, you know, kind of... It's kind of strange that it didn't appear sooner, you know, I mean. I think it's because you need to be at a certain turn. You cannot possibly kill before a certain turn, which makes it worse than the Asala OTK with weenies. Oh, it's definitely worse, but, you know, it's still fun if you, if you can get it work. I think people always had theories, but no one actually had the balls to try and use it in multiple JPs. Well, what, what was the name of the guy who created it? Is it... Liquidson? I see that he's like 1500 now, or... I actually, uh, funny story, I actually faced Liquidson like four times in a jackpot because it was late night and there was like two people on. And yeah, I faced, I, I, I went 2-2 two, two against him. The first time, the first two times, I had no chance. Hakeem has absolutely no chance. So like, I knew I was going to face him again at some point, so I added a third cosmic realignment and just straight up mulligan for cosmic realignment the, le the next two games and i won well that destroys him of course yeah yeah but it's uh it definitely has good matchups against the control decks so i guess there's that and it has pretty good anti-weenie uh anti-rush cards because it runs fire burst i think no heat wave yeah heat wave and sunburst and all that other crap what does heat wave kill your pals yeah, it's also, you know, it's a cheap cost that activates Nur, and if you have two heat waves, you can kill off Dark Assassin, but, you know, it's mostly there to activate Nur. Well, of course, and to get, you know, a chain casting combo started, so... Oh, yeah, chain casting. Who thought that card was a good idea? Uh, the same people that thought Void Shades needed to mill three, and then three when it leaves? <laughs> Wait, you're, you're saying that Void Shade is OP? I think, honestly, the Void Shades... Three cards is too much. If it was two, I think people would complain less about mill. Well, that's not true. I've milled a, I've milled a lot of decks without barely touching the void sheet. The thing is, the funny thing about that card is, um, the way they designed it, of it doing something when it comes in and it doing something when it leaves, is there's no way with, the, with that kind of mechanic to really underpower it. Because Anchor actually makes it really, 
really good. Obviously because they put anchor in it so you don't bounce it and replay it. But the anchor is so incredibly anti-meta-ish because Ashuma can't move it. You can't move it with Song of the Lost. And when you thrown, it deals 2 to 4 damage depending on how many Void Chains you have when you thrown. So you can actually end games a lot sooner than you think as Hakeem by beating them down with your Void Chains. Well, listen, uh, I want to ask you something. Do you actually care about that damage Void Chains is doing? Because every time I play against Hakeem, you know, he deploys Shade, I, remo I relocate, and then he starts, you know, pounding me, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, okay, he's, you know, de dealing damage, but it doesn't really matter. I don't actively try and go for the beatdown, but it's a good bonus because it makes the game end sooner when I milled your deck. Yeah, but when you milled me, it's over anyways, you know, most... Not really, because there are games in which I, ha I milled you, but it took, like, all my essence, and I only have five cards left. But I won that game because I did like 10 to 12 damage with Void Shades earlier. So I don't have to like click down from 20 turns. There was actually a couple of games I, I played, I think probably as Garant Gate, because uh, I was able to like purge the offerings or something like that. And the Hakim just ran itself out of cards at the same time. So then I'd been dealing him damage. So he was on like 5 life with, you know, 5 cards in his library or something. And I was at 20 life with no cards in mine. And and then he drew all his cards and gave up because none of those cards were able to deal damage to me before he would deal himself to death. Yeah, I definitely when I was learning Hakeem like as as like serious learning of Hakeem, I definitely milled myself against Crag, which is embarrassing. <laughs> and I some people play uh I know Drab plays three singularities because he doesn't care about decks resetting but I, I'm not that patient so I don't have the patience to replay the deck three times in a game. I mean Grab built the Demiria Rage deck you know and once I played a Demiria Rage mirror each of us had four singularities and our only damage dealing was altars of destruction and stone shields so we ran through all the altars all the stone shields and all the singularities so we played our decks nine times that game before running out of cards. <laughs> how, how long did it last? I don't know, it must have been like 45 minutes or something. And after that, I was like, okay, I'm not playing this deck anymore. I just don't want to play any more mirrors. Yeah, could you imagine late game in Jackpot and you, you know, you play a mirror? I would just leave. That's it. I actually think that happened to one person. I can't remember the name, but he was streaming. And he started the game at like about a couple of minutes before Jackpot ended. And it was a rage mirror. And then the game ended, and it was like 20 minutes after Jackpot. <laughs> and the game kind of the game kind of froze or something, but because it had to like process that last game. Oh my god. Um, yeah, I definitely played a couple uh, Demaria Rage Mirrors, and luckily they weren't as painful because the other guy was really dumb and kept playing creatures for my Void Cheats to die. So, you know. But yeah, I can see how Rage... Oh god, Cosmic Singularity recycling was the worst. That's actually what I dreaded about the team matches pre-patch was when you had those Cassandra mirrors and it was just like 40 to 50 minutes of bouncing devotion, bouncing devotion, bouncing devotion. Ugh. Yeah, it can be exhausting. I'm really happy about this. You know, I know some players said it, it was not necessary, but I think it's really good that they nerfed the uniques, changed them, actually. Although bit unnecessary i mean uh, not unnecessary a bit a bit bad news is the replace pre-patch uh don't work anymore so you, we, we can't watch those uh games anymore 
of Demeria recycling their deck five times. Also, I mean, uh, creatures. None of the creatures were ever really problematic being recycled. Like any time someone used Altar of Asha to resurrect Anil or something like that, I never thought, "Oh, that's OP. Needs to be nerfed immediately." Atropos, on the other hand. Well, not even that for me. You know, if he has... Yeah, because you're spending so much mana to do it, right? No, I mean Atropos when I was playing uh, JKK's Demeria. Oh, you mean how Adar Malik could always win by having a, a slightly better late game than Demeria? Oh my god, not slightly. It's... Well, that's, that's was pro- problem on, only for Demeria. Because the, Demeria always had, you know, terrible matchups against Malik. But resurrecting Atropos in any other matchup, I think, you know, it was not a problem. Oh, you play Cassandra. Well, not not always. <laughs> well, yeah, but also Kirin. Kirin, yes. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of which, yeah, Kirin, you had a good Kirin run uh, a couple a month ago or so. Well, yes, it it, it was not nothing serious. You know, it's definitely not a tier one deck. I mean, you can reach tier one with it every time and you know reasonable amount ga- amount of games, but it's not one of the top decks. Yeah, I would say Kirin is slightly harder than Cassandra for Hakeem. Mostly because of the divine intervention. And time jump when you're not expecting. Yeah, time jump and divine intervention gives it the edge against over Cassandra because it actually has a scary latish game and your stone shields aren't safe. Well, I played against a couple of Hakims. You know, it's I think I won most of the, most of the games thanks to time jump and intervention because you're going to have very you know powerful board at the time he plays stone shields and if he plays it you know. At, but at one point he will have to. So you just, you know, devotion into, you know, like 10 damage. And then, you know, with time jump, time jump or payo, you can finish the job. Uh, like I said, any deck that can actually harm the safety of Hakeem with their one card is a problem. Most Cassandras obviously don't play Cleansing Light, although I've definitely met a few. And Ward of Darkness for some reason. Well, that's... <laughs> Ward of Darkness is a great sideboard card. Yeah, sideboard. Not... You know, jackpot. No, definitely not, not in jackpot. But you know, even even in sideboard, I wouldn't, I would never put Wars of Against Darkness in Cassandra. Really? Because a lot of people, a lot of Cassandra say it's great sideboard because it auto wins against Gazelle. Well, I don't know if auto wins because Gazelle has dispels. No, but but they're saying because you you're forcing the Gazelle to go to two destiny and use a favorite spell to get the master spell. That's so much tempo they're taking away from getting their other spells. If the game goes late game, I feel like I lost against the Gazelle no matter what. No matter what, if she, if she can stall me, you know, she can stall me for one more turn. If she has enough creatures on board to play that, you know, favorite spell and play the curse next turn, unless you have another Word of Against Dark- Darkness and he doesn't have enough, you know, resources to play it, you know, from his graveyard, this and the curse. So it's, you know, to me, I would never put it, but I don't know, maybe. I never, I never sideboarded in Cassandra, I guess. So what would you say is, um, besides Kel'Thor, or is, I don't know, maybe Kel'Thor is, the hardest matchup for your build? Well, Kel'Thor is not a hardest matchup. I think Hakim is. Really? Yes, Hakim and Creature Damiria. I think those two are the hardest matchups for me. Kel'Thor's not that bad a matchup. Like it's probably 40, 60 or something? Well, I win most of my Kel'Thor matches, but of course it's, it matters against who are you playing. So most of the Keltors, you know, since everyone plays it, you know, there are going to be, you know, bad players playing it, so you can't really count every Keltor. But I I would still, you know, even if we take this in consideration, 
I still think I would lose much more against the Myria bait players than Kelter bait players. Oh, it's probably because anyone that plays the Myria is either really, really bad or really, really good. There's not that much of a huge variance just because the number of total Demarius is so low. But I guess it's because Demaria plays Insect Swarm. And Lurkers. Lurkers are, you know, even more important. Oh yeah. And your version doesn't play Lightning Strike, so Lurkers are pretty much game over. Yeah. Well, I don't play it because there are no Demarias, thankfully. But, you know... Garant sometimes plays it. He would also not play it because he plays four Path of Ancestors. Of course, that's true. <laughs> That'd be the greatest troll ever. Yeah, I'm gonna play my Lightning Strike after you spent like 10 turns looking at my Path of Ancestors. Yeah. Plus, I played now, so it's, you know, like... There was actually a troll version of Cassandra that played four lightning strikes and four pals. I think it was a variant of Zuki's with Path of Ancestors updated. I see a lot of those for some reason. I, I've never seen, you know, like four. I saw somewhere... I, I've seen a French player, one French player that play both lightning strikes and sunburst in Cassandra. You know, so it's... I guess people are experimenting with it. I, I still think it's not necessary. At least in this meta. But... How is it very synergistic with Cassandra? Because Cassandra's aim is to gain board dominance by using this resource acceleration and tillage, right? Uh, it's not to really finish with burst damage like a traditional rush deck. Yeah. I used two pals because I have two shiny ones, so I <laughs> I didn't want to left one out. Well, that should fit your philosophy, Hector. Well, what was it? Premium for life? It's a lifestyle. It would be a shame to, to take one away. If I had like one, you know, those that uh, closed beta pair, I would play only one. I once killed a Kelthor player from 9 health with the one pair. That was a good day. Ah, uh, that's always a good day, yes. I actually remember you saying you could have killed me with pals uh, the one time we... F the one time? Yeah, the one time we faced and you were Cassandra. Yeah, and you were on 12 as, as Hakim and I had... I had Pow Bridge Bridge Altar in hand, so I was just waiting for that opening. Yeah. I think uh, beating you gave me the confidence in the matchup being pretty easy. Because I, I won a few games against against Cassandra previously, but it was always like, oh my god, I'm at the skin of my teeth. But after that game, I decided, you know, the matchup is actually in favor of Hakeem. Especially in the, in the current meta, when Zerg told all the Cassandras to switch their events. And, by the way, it's amazing how fast... All the Cassandra switched their events as soon as Zerg said to switch. Well, he's basically the curator of the guide. It's a popular thread, but I didn't expect that many that fast in a game that usually doesn't read the threads. Well, I actually saw it from, you know, in one of Power Axer's decks. And I thought, well, of course, this is logical. Why not? And then I saw later that Zerg Rusher mentioned it, like it would be a nice change for all Cassandras. So... You know, maybe others saw it in, you know, in multiple... There, there were, like, multiple sources for, for that change, so, you know, maybe that, that's the reason why everyone changed so fast. I really like the reason why he wants to switch from Mana Storm to Path is because he asked JKK as a Kelthor player and me as a Gazelle player? Yeah? When do you play Gazelle? Never? <laughs> <laughs> I played it, like like... I played it like maybe 15 games or something, but the only time me and Zerg Rusher played each other in Jackpot was I was a gazelle. Well, <laughs> and you recommended Pat. Well, he just asked me like, what would, as a gazelle, would you be more annoyed, Mana Storm or Path? And I'm like, 
path, okay. And then I see the thread, I'm like, you couldn't ask Itinity or something? Well, it's, it doesn't really matter for Gazelle, I think. By turn 6, you're going to cast Curse anyways, so path doesn't matter. And for your Puppet Master or Enthrall on turn 6, and la on later turns, you can just steal something that entered, the, you know, thir two turns before, so it's... And you're rarely Soul, soul River against Cassandra, so I don't know. Pet or Mana Storm is... It's actually... It doesn't matter. At least to me. And I play Gazelle sometimes. I think it makes... I think it makes the turns more complicated than they seem compared to Mana Storm, which is just... I'll take one damage. That's it. That's the only complicated part. Yeah. Well, that's true. But also, Path gives you that one turn when you can safely play a Nile. Eh. Well, that, well that's... Yes. That's, that's, of course, the best thing about Pet against Gazelle. I remember one game against... I think it was I, Tiffany... In jackpot, I lost because you know I I saw my I had a damaged watchman and an nail in my hand and I was well screw it let's let's just play a nail and hope for the pad for the on the next turn and he could play control of course that turn and I just played it of course pet didn't came and he played control and I lost because of it you know it's, so I guess pet pet is better yeah and the main benefit is supposed to be making the Kelthor matchup better I actually don't know. I didn't ask Zerg this, but I don't know how much more does Path make it better against Kel'Thor. Oh, it makes it much, much better. Mm. Because you're safe from lightning strikes, you can play then accordingly. You know, block or deploy Wolf Fireball. Captain. Fireball also, yes. But you know, in the early turns, it protects your uh, Tide Collectors, which is you know, super, super important if you play them. It's, it's much, much better. It's a big improvement in that matchup. Yeah, I just never got clarification on how much more, but since everyone seems to be still sticking to it, I safely assume that it's working as intended. Because I've definitely seen a lot more Cassandra uh, as the weeks go by. Cassandra is slowly coming back to its usual, you know, number three or four most played deck in the higher jackpot, uh, Tilo. Well, yes, I think, well, it was about time. I don't know why people, you know, just one time they just stopped playing it, and then now we, we see a resurgence of it again. Well, I think it's because Kel'Thor at first had quite a good matchup against Cassandra, but then now the matchup with, you know, Path of the Ancestors, and also the fact that now Kel'Thor doesn't play with so many fireballs, instead it has to play with Black Skull Crushers and things, that makes it, uh, you know, a lot slower and gives Cassandra more time to gain control of the ball. Well, that could be it, yes. Yeah, uh, the meta... I would say a lot of people were playing the Recursion Cassandra, and once they saw Recursion gone, they thought the power level of Cassandra dropped a lot lower than it actually did. So they moved on to other decks. Well, it's, you know, because Cassandra was always good because she can beat any deck. You know, it doesn't matter if it's a stall, it's a rush, it's, you know, you can just, you have a, you know, decent chance at winning. You know, you have a, a very good chance to win. So it was always, you know, it's, I think it's one of the most solid decks, you know, in the history of Duel of Champions. That wasn't terribly nerfed, because I can think of a few decks that were more solid, only because they were super broken. Like which one? Uh, wouldn't you say, like, wouldn't you see, like, uh, Siegfried? Well, that's, when I say Cassandra, I, you know, I think of Siegfried, Siegfried also, because it's, it's the same deck, but just different hero. Different hero and more broken cards. Yeah, it was super broken. Wasn't it, like, 6 HP wolf captains and you had a throne that doesn't... Reduce, and you could play with four prisons. And you had three. Um, you had three HP Dark Assassin. Three HP Tide Collectors. Oh God! <laughs> Who thought that was a good idea? Well, <laughs> when he deploys that five HP, you know Praetorian. Well, that's a GG. Like, 
No, it, it was so frustrating to play against that kind of deck. I would assume so with four prisons. Oh wait, no, you could, you could, you could, if the game goes long enough, thrown in the prison. Oh, how awesome would that be? Like thrown, play some guys, prison, and then next three turns, prisons again. And the literally the only reason why it wasn't so dominant is because altar wishes didn't exist back then. Yes, no one had like prisons. And that, this was the only time actually when I think this game was broken. You know, every now and then on forums you see like this this is completely broken. This is, you know, the only time when things were truly broken when is when prison wasn't unique and when you could cast throne like you know for five resources and that's it. You had no penalties on it. You had like one deck that could win, and that was you know that prison OTK deck that you know with tower. Since then, things are much better. Yeah, Amar was broken to the point, well, quote unquote, broken to the point that Ubisoft had to change things. But it was still stoppable to a degree, especially since Mana Storm was wasn't nerfed back then. And Amar did have trouble against decks that play with stone shields. Yes, well, it's uh, my problem with Amar was because it was so easy to get a win with it. You know, it's it's almost like a free win sometimes, even more than with much more than with Craig Heck we have today. So it's players who are playing it. You know, just no decks should look like this, in my opinion. And it shouldn't got yeah, it shouldn't gotten to the point where you just need to know this one thing and. There were so many people that went to 1500 just on the base of the deck, and once they got to 1500 and Amar was nerfed, they don't know anything else. And yeah. that's why. I think that's when the ELO inflation started. It's because you had a lot of people that piggyback on the power of Amar, and once they got there, they're like... Well, I gotta learn to play the game just now. Yeah. I think my favorite part of the Amar meta, however short-lived it was, was the Amar versus Amar tech like you saw a lot of uh, uh, stolen research, I think, and that fortune that steals one magic and gives you one magic. <laughs> that was like the only time when it when it was play and ever will be. Yeah, I I actually saw um, Black Fang extortion at times. I think back in the day as like an anti like you're not gonna get your combo first. I'm gonna get my combo first. The stupidest cards ever for the stupidest short-lived meta ever. But those are sometimes the best times. Man, I wish I'd seen that. Oh my, no you wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, then the Mana, Mana Storm nerf came and came Spell Thor in the Six Months of Darkness, as someone call it. <laughs> Do people call it like this? Well, a lot of people did leave because the meta, no matter whether you think Kel'Thor is super broken or not, it's not. But, you know, it's been six months of the same thing, basically, of one hero dominating... Yeah, well, it's been really too long, you know, since the last batch of really good cards because five towers changed only with the mana storm and taxes changed, you know, and and got us Knight of the Rising Moon, pretty much nothing else, and you know, meta kind of it is boring, I guess, if it hasn't changed for like six months. Yes. Yeah, it's changed some in that there are you know other decks that eventually came and became better in the unique patch, but still, Kel'Thor is there, seeing every other match. But I mean, also a lot of new players piggyback to 1500 on the, on the basis of being able to play Kel'Thor with rudimentary efficiency, wouldn't be saying? Yeah, uh, it's, it's, all, yeah, it's the ease of access that gives so many inflation and 
another good reason why we absolutely need a reset, uh, especially once that decays. Yeah, but I think it decays quite slowly, like once a week or something. So yeah, you gotta play like one game in a week to to keep your to prevent that decay happening. Yeah, but it's just so you know piggybackers that are unfortunately on the current global ladder forever then you can't get rid of like Alcazar. Well, we, no one knows what he did, but you know <laughs> how he got there. He piggybacked on something. No, wasn't it when the crag hack there was a bug, right? Where you, you use his ability, then you played a neutral creature and you got an auto win or something. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. He piggybacked off the bug. Oh yeah, that bug. You know, I played against the same uh, Craig player in one jackpot three times. And three times it crashed. Of course, he got the win. And three times he apologized to me. And he knew what he was doing. Oh my god, I was so mad. <laughs> now, if you want to call the game broken, that's truly broken. <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> that is true. We're, that's our farewell to the you know open meta as it is currently stands. And Cassandra is back for the moment as a 315. Is there any last thoughts on this? Well, I think I don't know. It's uh, it's really exciting time ahead of us. I think with new engine, new new expansion, new formats. It's you know this is the biggest thing that happened to Duel of Champions since since launch, I guess. So it's it's going to be. I'm really excited to see what's going to happen now, and I'm really happy to say goodbye to all the Keltors. <laughs> well, I'm less happy about that, but. But yeah, I agree that, um, you know, it's going to be some interesting stuff. You know, Kelso might, might change entirely, live on in a different fashion. I can't wait to see how all the recalibrations turn out, like Chaosium and Void Wraiths and so on. See what people do with that. And then, you know, the fact that there's a whole new standard format to play around with. All the, there's a hundred new cards in, in Heart of Nightmares and... They're going to be decidedly more playable than Five Towers. I can tell you. I can tell you that now for free. What a high bar! <laughs> Reaching there, aren't you? Better than Morgan's inspiration? I can't imagine. Please don't mention the turncoats, or I'm just gonna, <laughs> you know, end the call. If I see. <laughs> oh God! What? Let's talk a little bit about the preview. Oh my god, it's so broken cards when 5T was doing spoilers. Remember Siam a Predator? Oh yeah. Oh, what ambush triggers on relocation. <laughs> oh my god, it's Song of the Lost all over again. Yeah. And someone even wrote how, it's, how it will be broken and then wrote about a deck that uses Siam a Predator and in Academy deck. And he complained how it will be OP. Oh my god. <laughs> it was a serious post. Well, there's quote-unquote serious posts now in the forums. That tradition hasn't changed. But, yeah, hopefully, not a high bar like I said, but hopefully the set is really exciting. If nothing else, then it's uh, coming into a lower uh, pull of cards, which means it's not going to break the game as fast. I would like to. I would like to really see a really good non-creature cards, like really interesting fortunes. I think we lack that at the moment. They got to be careful though. Yeah, they got to be careful though because Void Rays, Stone Shields, and Mass Rage is still in the BS2. So they got to be really careful. Well, of course, but you know, I I kind of wish we we have some kind of non-creature decks in in standard. You know, if it's all creature spell decks, it would be I don't know. It's 
it's less interesting for me playing that way. I always want to see different different archetypes of, of decks. So, you know, imagine how it would be to see, you know, Keltor type decks all the time. I, I really wish we don't have this in standard. Well, things are going to be probably varied out just because of daily and weekly quests forcing you to try out new decks. So hopefully that'll inspire people to do the same. Well, yes, this is a good point, actually. They took out gates to shale as well, which is a bit of a shame. Oh, I guess we're talking. Yeah, I guess we're talking about that. DK splitters off. <laughs> I'm actually sad about this because I like to play necro, and DK splitters are like a best card they have. They still have. They still have the best four drops in the BS two. Well, I don't know. Stronghold has shredder. I guess this is a pretty good four drop in an environment that doesn't have you know quick attack. I would probably I would probably pick Arc Lich in BS two. Well, it depends on the meta, actually. I mean, I think they're, they're trying to make quick attack like a stronghold flavor ability rather than it being readily available to every faction. Yeah, yeah, 10 might. Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have... I guess we'll, we'll got, we'll, they'll give us something to, you know, to reach that 10 might. Yeah, I've heard hints that there's going to be some sort of resource acceleration... Or something, but yeah, I don't think anyone. I don't think anyone thought playable when they saw that ten might requirement at first glance. But yeah, it's yeah. I'm I'm very excited too because the economy, you know, despite the lack of seals, it looks like to be, to be built for people that don't play the game like three four hours a day. If you have time for half an hour, you can get just as much as you would normally get in a grind session, and you know, maybe people will be less exhausted, I guess. Because, I don't know, sometimes grinding just takes it out of people. Yes. And also, I think this focus on standard is actually a good thing. You know, if imagine how, if you're a new player now and you just come to the game, how would you know what to buy, what, what format to play, what... I think, you know, focusing heavily on one format would, and, you know, supporting others as well is really a good thing for this game. Yeah. I actually like their explanation of uh, they took out seals in, what do you call it, out of the campaigns for straight up packs because they don't want new players to be confused on what to buy in the shop. I actually like that uh, explanation. This is a really good decision, yes. No more no more flow charts of buy Forgotten Wars, oh wait, that's, up, that's outdated, buy, buy this, the box and all that stuff. I mean, it was, it was easy before when you had you know, just a base set and one expansion. It was really easy to decide what to buy. But now, you know, if you're a new player, you you know nothing about the game. How would you know what to what expansion to buy, what box, what you know? Also, removing Amelia packs and heroic packs is a good decision. You know, I really like the direction they're taking with with this. But they're removing premium packs too. Well, this is a <laughs> well. I... <laughs> well, there there's still going to be premium premium cards in normal packs, so it's I guess. That's okay then. Yeah, now premium cards will be more premium. Maybe they'll change, you know, the way they look a bit. Because, you know, at least, some, you know, like some, something small. Because this is, you know, it doesn't look all that better than, than the regular card. It just have that, has that foil on it. What, you want them to start winking at you? No, not winking, not animations. But, you know, maybe something different. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of people are complaining about 
the set not, uh, the new set not being viable essentially because seals are not available anymore on level ups. I mean, think about this. You have to grind 15 levels to buy boxes if we're using the current system. Really? You're going to complain that you can't grind 15 levels over just waiting 2-3 weeks until it's available for gold? Really? Yeah. I think it's much easier to get cards you need for competitive play. And if standard is going to be, you know, like, standard for competitive play, then it's it's really much easier than it was before. Also, you you can get old cards for wild cards now. Even if you can't get seals, you can get wild cards from, like, your dailies and your weeklies. I mean, if you're a new player trying to build a deck for open, you're going to want, like, a few cards from Void Rising, a few cards from... Herald of the Void, etc. It's probably actually easier to get them via wild cards than, you know, saving up to buy a box of Void Rising or whatever and then not getting the cards you want anyway. Yeah, I think, yeah, the, def the definite focus of this economy change is to make standard, like every other card game that changes into a block format of sorts, is to make standard the main thing that people focus on. And then if you want to you know, take a look at back in the past, um, you're going to have to pay a price. But that's the same in any card game that has legacy. And, you know, it's not it's not something, you know, that's like pushed to make it work that way because it it also makes sense, at least to me. I mean, if, if, if players, if these arguers against the economy change are arguing that new players can't start open, like, in a couple weeks... Like, think about how much you have to pay for a Black Lotus and Magic the Gathering for them. I mean, why would they be able to? It's, it's just not how card games work. Even at the moment, it's hard for a new player to, to get a competitive deck right off the bat. Either. Yeah, and we don't even know what it's, what's a competitive deck in the new format. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I built a, I built a hilarious Yukiko OTK deck for standard. It's not good. I hope not. But you, you draw your whole deck. And then you play your two Shalasa's Blades on, like, turn 10. Is that with, uh, with all the cards, you know, in a, in a test server? But, you know, this, this is uh, good news for me, because I, I really like, you know, in, you know a div diversity in, in the meta. OTK, of course, bring it on. Or, I mean, on the test forums, Russia described it as testing the limits of your sanity. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's actually one of the reasons why JKK was playing that Asala Power OTK was to prove to Simon that it's actually crap. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. This is not consistent at all, Simon. Don't touch this deck. <laughs> but like, Eurexus' new OTK is supposed to be quite consistent, right? No, I think he's just a Luxac. <laughs> I mean, really... Oh god, I, I tried testing that deck. Maybe I'm not familiar with how winner you're supposed to draw, but I lost to Grigori like three times. Oh my god. <laughs> It's really hard. I played, I played, I played Urexer, You know, I think it was a couple of JPs away, and all the events in the first, like I don't know, externs were mine. And you know, he he needed his Rising Moon, and it would, it never came. You know, and on the turn when I casted Prison and was about to kill him, Rising Turn came, and he just raged, of course. <laughs> yeah, he's a very ragey person. But otherwise, yeah, I think that's uh, that's about it. I think that's about it for I think we talked about all the topics. Um, is there any shoutouts you want to go out for, Brunt? Shoutouts? Well, shoutout to Balkan, Duel of Champions community, and that's that's it. <laughs> I guess. I don't have any shoutouts. I don't have a team, so, you know, we are forming actually a team, me and, uh, well, 
you know, with a couple of French players. So when we have ourselves a name, then, you know, I'm going to be able to do shout out for this. And you can join the next team league. Yeah, this would be great. And come up with a better name than some of the other team names. Yeah, I don't know. We're still thinking about it. <laughs> like like what, what, what you don't like. What name? Callers of the Void? Well, that's, <laughs> that's a bit lame, yes, I, I suppose. Six's Legacy? What does Six's Legacy mean? I, there's six of them. Yeah, but is there some, like, legacy that they've got to collect or uncover? I mean... Actually, I think all the, most of the names are lame. Invoker's OP? <laughs> I don't know. That's at least a bit funny. I guess. <laughs> yeah, so you don't have a high bar in your name names, so don't worry. Okay. <laughs> Maybe it's like something like a croquette, since you're in Croatia. And they are? And they're not? They're, they're French or they're all French? So like baguette? So like croquette? Ooh, that would be nice. I'm going to suggest that in our next meeting. Well, I think a lot of those names were kind of rushed, you know, to just... No, no, no. Callers of the Void is one of the original teams. Yeah, they had, like, months to come up with a name. Oh, God. <laughs> and Six's Legacy was a name that was, like, replacing their current name, so they had months, too. Oh, okay. I'm surprised um, Draft Team 2 didn't manage to put Drab somewhere in their name. Drabsters or something like this. Yeah, considering Drab manages to put his name in like all the decks he comes up with. Well, probably because he wasn't captain. But yeah, um, if uh, Hector, you got your usual shoutouts. Yeah, to um, you know, my team A one, and also that I'll hopefully manage to make a another video before the new patch comes out. Okay, I'll give a shout out to that too. Oh yeah, I heard there was some there was a problem of week three. You guys have to play all your games before the patch. No, how uh well how it works is that Kinetic said we need uh, each team captain submits one person who will play after the patch. So anywhere between zero to two matches will be played after the patch. Okay, and what about cards that get changed? Oh, I mean you submit new deck lists after the patch. Oh, okay, okay. So I guess teams would send in their players that are in the balance server to get the greatest edge. Or with the worst matchups. Or are, are the new cards banned or something? No, I mean if you've got a bad matchup now, you get to submit a new deck list after the patch. And so does your opponent, obviously. So. Okay. Yeah, definitely interesting. Should be very interesting. But I mean, that that's why Kinetic made it so that you can submit up to one player, because otherwise he said, you know, there might be people trying to to dodge matchups and so on. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, now I remember because as soon as he said that, Troopy said all four of the guys suddenly had something to do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, well, thank you again, uh, for coming, Brent and Hector. No, thank, thank you for inviting me. Mhm. Mm and Hector, my co-host, my co-host, not my guest, my co-host. Yeah. Jeez, people, come on. All right. Um, I think that's it. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in.